Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message on workplace wellness. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with Liz and Nicole from the Ohio Department of Health. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So, Liz, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the state. Thanks, Mike. So, my name is Liz Curry. I am a registered dietitian and also the diabetes coordinator at the Ohio Department of Health, working alongside Nicole on diabetes prevention and management efforts. Great. Nicole, tell us a little about yourself and what you do. Morning, Mike. I'm Nicole Smith. I am the diabetes program consultant at the Ohio Department of Health, working with Liz on our diabetes prevention activities mostly. So that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about pre-diabetes. Yay. <laughs> no, 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 the crowd didn't like it. I don't know why. <laughs> cheers for pre-diabetes. All right. So Liz, what exactly is pre-diabetes? We probably hear it from our doctor all the time. Hey, you're borderline coming to this pre-diabetic because it seems to affect a lot more people than we think, you know, as we casually just go about our routine and everyday lives, no one really talks about pre-diabetes at the dinner table, right? So right. what is pre-diabetes? So pre-diabetes is a serious condition when your blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but not high yet enough for your doctor to diagnose you as an individual with type 2 diabetes. So pre-diabetes is caused typically when your body doesn't respond normally to insulin. You may know insulin is a hormone that's made by your pancreas. And so that's kind of like this locking key mechanism that your cells use for energy. So when your body doesn't respond to that insulin, your pancreas then makes more insulin kind of overcompensating. And then your body doesn't respond and eventually your pancreas can't keep up. And that's what causes your blood sugar to be high. That sets the stage for them prediabetes. And if prediabetes goes undiagnosed, then that will then lead to type two diabetes. We know here in the nation that there's around 88 million Americans, which is around one in three folks that have wow, one in three. Yeah, it's pretty staggering. And then the other stat that is even more mind blowing is that 84% of individuals don't even know that they have it. Um, so that's why we're going to 84%, talk about eight out of 10. Yeah, don't even have don't, any idea. No. <laughs> so how does and this is a side question? How do people know they're, they're pre-diabetic? I mean, is this, is this one of those cases where go get your typical screenings done that a lot of people probably ignore? If you just go do your annual like blood test screenings with your family doctor, this would kind of pop up on the radar there? Or is there something yeah, so special they have to do to find out? Nope, it shouldn't be anything special. So typically, if you're at high risk or there are some risk factors that kind of predisposes an individual to having type 2 diabetes, and that's things like being overweight, if you're over 45 years of age or, or older, uh, if you have a family history of type 2 diabetes, for women, if you've had gestational diabetes during pregnancy, or if you've birthed a large baby, so a baby over nine pounds. Also for women, if you had polycystic ovarian syndrome, those kind of predispose you. Your doctor should be aware of kind of those risk factors and then either test you through, there's a, a risk assessment that's about five or six questions, or they can do a blood draw when they do your annual physical. 84%, eight out of 10 people. That's yes. insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. And most people don't even know they have it. And so this is a much bigger deal. But, you know, a lot of times we hear these figures, we're kind of blown away and it makes us like, aha moment. Like I need to pay attention to this. But then we talk about the medical things like you did with insulin and different things, which is, I think is great information. But sometimes practically we kind of miss 
we hear that and it's kind of mumbo jumbo and it sounds real interesting. And then we hear the stat and we're blown away. But what does all that mean practically for people? Like if someone has prediabetes, let's say I have it and I get up in the morning, how does that affect me in a daily routine? Yeah. So there's really no clear symptoms of it. You typically see those symptoms later on when individuals have undiagnosed type two diabetes. So prediabetes often goes undetected, hence that 84 million people who don't know that they have it because they're walking, talking, functioning, just as if they didn't have prediabetes. So there really isn't, outside of those risk factors, there really isn't any indication. Um, The indication comes when you've already passed prediabetes and you're already into type two diabetes, which at that point could be too late. So that's, that's what makes sense. Everyone already know, or doesn't know they have it. So most people doesn't know they have it. We always tell people whenever we do a health conversation, I don't know how many doctors or nurses we have on, do your screenings, do your annuals, do whatever it is. And this goes along with that, especially it seems like after you hit 40 and you said 45 is a target, but yeah, yeah, you know, and all of us would admit if we're that age, I know I am in the forties, everything's shifted (laughs) that I can still go shoot a ball. and, And then at 40, it literally hurt. (laughs) <laughs> so the big shift came and you felt a little, little sore in my thirties, but the forties, it was like, I don't do that anymore. I You're in bed for a little days. smarter. There you go. And so that's my, I want to add something to, um, sure. since we're on that topic. So the U S preventive services task force actually just updated their recommendation for prediabetes and diabetes screening. And they actually lowered the age to 35 really? um, for people wow. who are overweight or obese. Um, so, which is most of us, I mean, really in America, right. everyone's obese according to BMI, right? Right. Pretty and much we, 60% or something like that is overweight. Correct. And that recommendation was just updated within the last few months. So we haven't necessarily seen like the medical associations or um, those things kind of catch up, but we expect that down the road, I mean, most people will (laughs) be screened um, and tested for prediabetes and diabetes based on that recommendation. Sure. And, it, and we're not going to get into this, but it just makes me think of like, you know, a generation or two ago, this wasn't an issue at all, probably. And it makes me think chemicals in the food and not just habits, but all the things combined. But we're not going to get into that right now because that's a whole nother can of worms. And uh, <laughs> it could be a whole nother Yeah, a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I don't want to throw in there like school lunch. We could do it all, but we won't. Um, You're going to have us come back. I don't want to get protested. So here we go. <laughs> You know, it's funny in my hometown, I grew up in Garrettsville years ago. I've heard it it was back. I think Michelle Obama did the school lunch thing or something, some kind of program. I'm not even familiar with it. I just heard locally, they tried to take tater tots out of our school lunch program at the middle school. I think it was. And (laughs) one of the kids went home and complained to the parents and the parents was like, they need your lunch money. So why don't you just boycott them and bankrupt the the lunch system? Just get your friends together. And I think it sounded like a joke. But the kid took it seriously and got all their friends. <laughs> they literally boycotted the lunch program and it broke, it made them broke. So they gave in and started, you know, started tater giving tots. tater tots again. So I, I don't know if we're too far in the addiction, tater tot addiction or carb addiction <laughs> sweets. I don't know what it is, but uh, it may be too late for America. I don't know. Those Futurama. Yeah. Those, those, those Futurama things where people just float around and they can't move. We might be doomed. I don't know, but hopefully because you two are here. We can change the world and make <laughs> make America healthy again. See, that's going to get me in trouble just joking about that. All right. So, Nicole, why should employers be concerned about prediabetes? 
Well, really, there are two main reasons that employers should be concerned about prediabetes. The first is probably the most obvious, <laughs> their employees' overall health and quality of life. We know that people with prediabetes are already at a higher risk of heart disease and stroke, even though they don't already have, you know, they don't have type 2 diabetes. So even those who, who are just have prediabetes are at that higher risk. In addition, if an employer and employees let prediabetes transition into type 2 diabetes, there are a lot of other complications that we know that can come with type 2 diabetes, such as kidney failure, blindness, nerve damage, which many people probably know can lead to amputation of a toe, foot, leg. Mm. Um, yes. yeah. And some studies also suggest that diabetes doubles the risk of depression. I believe that because I think one thing that's short when we talk about medical, it obviously there needs to be a lot more integration between mental health and physical health, but our moods typically depend on how we feel, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're emotional beings. We get up and we feel like crap. We're going to be irritable and treat people like crap unintentionally, not wanting to, you know, I have a two and a half year old in my forties. We just adopted and high energy climate and everything. And it's amazing that I could feel <laughs> like, oh man, I need to get in shape just so I could be there and keep up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You start to feel that, but, but waking up in just not being healthy in general, not having a, an exercise routine, you know, eating, whatever it does affect us and affects our mood and affects our relationships, doesn't it? So it's, it's much more widespread than, oh, that's just a medical condition they're trying to work through. I feel like we unconsciously kind of put that out there like that, but this could ruin your life. I mean, this could really have a huge impact in your life where it could ruin relationships. It can ruin careers. I know in the safety world, you know, someone that's diabetic or pre-diabetic it could take them three times long to return to work after an injury. So there's a huge financial cost, time off work, productivity. I know going through things myself like, man, I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I, you know, there's creativity could be hidden. There's so many different areas on there. What our listeners really think about that. This is not just, maybe they'll take a sick day off for a doctor's appointment here. This is pretty serious. This is for us individually, this could affect our relationships. Like I said, everything. And then for an employers, this could affect a wide rate. And it's not like there's so many people, as Liz mentioned earlier, you can't just like try to figure out how to secretly screen for prediabetes and not hire them. Right. I do a lot of bridges <laughs> out of poverty training. And a lot of times I've presented that to employers and they're like, how do I figure out who's who? So I don't want, I'm like, you can't do that. You can't avoid yeah. hiring people that were born in poverty. It's no way to find out. That's not what we're trying to do here. Yeah. So definitely. Keep going, Nicole. I'm sorry. You just got me off. Yeah, no, that's a great segue because the second reason we were going to mention that an employer should be concerned about prediabetes is because diabetes is very expensive and can cost the employer um, quite a lot of money. And diabetes affects the company's bottom line. It's the costliest of the 155 most common diseases in the country. In 2017, diabetes cost the nation $327 billion overall, and that included $237 billion in direct medical costs and then $90 billion in indirect costs, which were things such as reduced productivity and absenteeism, like you mentioned. And so... I want to know what that feels like. I want to have all that cash in my hand. <laughs> it'd probably and fill up. Fill, and I'm I sure employers want to have that too. House. Yes, <laughs> sure they would. And in addition, care for people with diabetes was responsible for one in every four U.S. health care dollars spent in 2017. 
average medical expenditures for people with diagnosed diabetes are about $16,750 per year, which is 2.3 times higher than the average medical expenditures for people who do not have diabetes. So, you know, if an employer can start to think about prevention of type 2 diabetes and, you know, keeping their employees healthy, they can save a significant amount of money. On average, $2,671 in medical expenditures for each employee every year, which is huge. And they're happier. They're happier. They they come to work (laughs) and contribute and yeah, all of that. Yeah. Over the years, I've had employers tell me in regards to special programs, whether that be trying to help someone that was, you know, underserved growing up or, you know, or inconsistent attendance, instead of just firing everyone and trying to hire someone and they complain that they can't get enough staff that's dependable and try to talk about how do we really develop our workforce and kind of transition people out of that. And that's a huge factor. They say, well, I'm not their mom and dad. What do you want me to do? It's their private life. It's not my job as an employer. They need to do what they need to do, mind their own business. And I totally understand that perspective. You don't have any legal responsibility to do that. But at the same time, you're complaining you don't have a good workforce and you're getting people you don't like. They're miserable to work with. All these different factors. But every single thing you can see in communities, if you go to a community that has a good public park system, they have like those, you know, I think uh, Independence has one of those pedestrian bridges. I think Kent has some things going on. And uh, Portage County here, we have our park district got funded a few years ago. So now they're blowing up parks everywhere. You just start to see a shift in people's attitudes in general. It's the same thing for this. If we start to provide walking programs, not everyone's going to do it. We know that and that's okay. But you start to get 20, 30% of your folks to do it. And now they they like to come to work. They feel more supported by their employer. Now they have greater buy-in and that really affects turnover. A lot of different areas that we don't really think about in this. And you have a happier workforce and people like to show up, like to come to work at places they like to work. If you like to come to work, are you going to call off or take extra sick time? No, you're not. (laughs) You're going to want to show up to work because you enjoy being there. This is a really big deal. So Nicole, last question here. So we know pre-diabetes is bad. It's going to affect us. But if I'm an employer, what can I do? Hey, this dude has a lifestyle over here. He chooses to go to the sheets and get the whatever, after work every day and a Mountain Dew or whatever, the donut, what do you want me to do about it? What can I do to help anyone? Thankfully, there is a solution and we encourage employers to cover the National Diabetes Prevention Program for their employees. Have you heard of the National Diabetes Prevention Program, Mike? Not until I met you. Okay. So we call it the DPP for short, Diabetes Prevention Program. The DPP is an evidence-based lifestyle change program for people who are at risk of developing type 2 diabetes, so people who have prediabetes. And the program focuses on helping people make sustainable lifestyle changes. So not a quick fix, but really helping build a healthy lifestyle and achieving 5 to 7% of weight loss which has been shown to reduce people's blood sugar and then reduce their risk of developing type 2. Wait, say that again. Five to seven percent weight loss? Five to seven percent of their body weight, correct. So that's so not that's, a huge amount. That's a big deal because I know like me personally, and I know tons of people, like you think, man, I gotta drop a hundred, 
to be healthy, right. I need 100, 150. And you're saying, no, 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 5 to 7%. So right. I think sometimes we see the ideal, what we want to be or what we need to be. And then we get frustrated. We actually get hopeless because we're like, there's no way. I'm. But 5 to 7%, that's manageable. You know? Right. And it's, it's over the course of a year. It is a, a 12 month program and it includes, usually it's a little bit more intensive towards the beginning of the program. So there's usually weekly sessions for the first six months. And then the second half of the year is either bi-weekly or monthly. And the, you, the person receives a full year of support from a trained lifestyle coach to help them you know, make those lifestyle changes, get more active, choose healthier foods. So these and sessions, are they one-on-one coaching? Are they group? What, they're, what usually, they like? they're usually group. Um, but I know over the last year, there's definitely been more focus on some of the virtual programs or even like app-based programs, which sometimes can be a little bit more one-on-one. But traditionally, the program is group-based. And then the participant can have one-on-one interactions with the coach individually as well, either over the phone, in person, through text message, email. It's really flexible. Real quick, I just want to go back to that 5 to 7% weight loss because we often hear employers say, well, I don't want a program that's specific to one disease. They want one-stop shop that's going to kind of encompass all chronic diseases. And even though that this is called the diabetes prevention program, when you focus on the weight loss, you're also impacting other diseases that an individual may have. So through that weight loss, you're going to impact, you know, any cardiovascular disease, you know, heart disease, things like that, high blood pressure, that's going to benefit from that five to 7% weight loss. That's a very good thing. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'm not going to be pre-diabetic. Well, you may already be not even know it. First off, (laughs) second of all, anytime someone's going to help you eat right and do the right thing, it's going to benefit you. Like you said, so that's a very good point. Thank you for bringing it up, Liz. Nicole, back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a great point, Liz. Thank you. The great thing is that there is over 20 years of research in this program showing that it can reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes by 58% for people who lose that 5 to 7% of their body weight. 58%. So it has a great impact. Yeah. Wow. And as I mentioned before, it's pretty flexible and accessible. Um, There are in-person programs, there are online and distance learning programs. And then there are some programs that do a combination of, you know, in-person and some sort of online or virtual option. So, and especially over the last year and a half, two years, we've seen a lot more flexibility in trying to make those programs available to people and accessible. So is there a cost of this program? There is. Um, It typically depends on which organization you're participating with. So, you know, a lot of, there are YMCAs that offer the program, there are health systems that offer the program. And then there are some like nonprofit and wellness type organizations. So the, it's typically um, about $450 per person is average, but some charge less. Some have like a sliding fee scale, There are some programs that are covered by some uh, of the major insurance plans. So it's kind of, it's worth checking into what the options. And that can be, you know, that can be negotiated as if an employer is interested in, in offering the DPP, that can be that negotiated rate with whatever diabetes prevention program provider they decide to partner with, whether that's 
a large kind of nationwide partner, if they're kind of a nationwide or regional organization, or if they're local and want to stick to kind of some local like YMCA's like Nicole had mentioned, that all can be negotiated. And that's not necessarily out of pocket of the employee, but costs might be incurred by the employer. Or they could negotiate to have to kind of split the cost if they want their employee to pay a portion too. Sure. Similar to like what health insurance looks like, I would imagine, right? Right. The whole process behind the scenes. So if I'm an employer, where do I get more information about this? How do I sign up for it? Well, um, if an employer wants to learn more, they can certainly contact Liz and I and we'd like to have a conversation with employers just to figure out kind of what their goals are and best find a program that can match their needs. Um, Because like I said, there are different organizations and they have different costs. And so if anybody wants to um, learn more, we encourage them to contact Liz and myself and we can help put them in contact with programs that are available to them. You can contact me, Nicole, at Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E dot Smith at odh.ohio.gov. If an employer that is listening today is ready to learn more about prediabetes and or coverage for the National Diabetes Prevention Program, like I said, we at ODH can provide technical assistance. We can help employers learn more about prediabetes and how many employees are impacted by prediabetes and diabetes at their work site. We can connect them to third-party administrators to assist with coverage options. We can also help them learn how to start their own DPP um, or connect them to existing DPPs in Ohio or find online or distance delivery um, programs. Once they have started to offer the program, we can help them identify and recruit employees that qualify. And then we also um, connect with other states and other um, employers and health plans quite frequently. So we can certainly help connect them with other employers or health plans, either in Ohio or in other states that are, you know, already implementing the program if they want to kind of talk through um, how this has worked and also helping to define the reimbursement or payment structure for the program. So like I said, if anyone is interested in learning more about prediabetes or the National Diabetes Prevention Program, please feel free to contact us. Again, my email is nicole.smith at odh.ohio.gov or Liz's email is elizabeth.curry at odh.ohio.gov. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Liz, thank you so much as well. Everybody out there listening, take heart to this information, really listen to what they're saying. If you're able and you have the resources to apply this program to your workplace, I encourage you to strongly consider it and really help your workforce out. Again, as we talked about, the healthier your workers are, the safer they're going to be, the happier they're going to be, the more they're going to enjoy coming to work and feel like you support them. So ladies, again, thank you very much, everyone out there listening. Be healthy, stay safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views 
expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.